I love magic exposure. I think it's good, right, moral, and the future of magic. This is the magicwordpodcast.com. Hello, this is Scott Wells for the Magic Word Podcast.com. In 2011, I created the Magic Word Podcast as a way to advance the art of magic through the sharing of information. The concept of the podcast was to allow people more access to a variety of kinds of magic and to people they would normally never have access to without leaving their homes. Part of the concept was that I was going to be able to share information from people who would normally not have a voice because they couldn't appear in the linking ring or magic magazine or other traditional forms of communication because you are limited to the number of pages that you could print, limited to the amount of time they give you on radio or in television, etc. Whereas with my podcast, they were allowed ample time to do that. It was never intended to generate controversy, but simply to share concepts and ideas and to advance the art of magic and to examine topical issues as they came up. Part of my mission to advance the art of magic is to provide a platform for people such as women and minorities who might not have a media outlet to present their unique perspectives and their vision of what it is like to work in and to be successful in our art or to hear from creators to understand their creative process that you might normally never hear. Over the past several years, I have had everyone from Tom Blomquist, a TV writer and producer who talked about the importance of persistence and hard work paying off, to Rolando Santos, a retired CEO of CNN, who told us how to connect with people. All have shared things that are not normally found in any magic book. Occasionally, as in this circumstance, it was never meant to expose magic or magic tricks to non-magicians. We do not discuss methods on this podcast because it is freely available to the global community. In this particular case, I selected Murray Sawchuk to be on the recent podcast because he is at the center of a controversy that a lot of magicians need to hear. I'm following up this week with Justin Flom, another magician who has exposed magic through his global media outlets. There was no intention to support their cause, but rather to explore why they are doing what they are doing and ask them if they understand the damage that they are creating so other people can get an understanding of what they are doing. If I had this podcast 30 years ago, then I would have tried to get Penn and Teller on the podcast at the height of their controversy over exposure of magic when they were known as the bad boys of magic, who did the exact same thing to a huge backlash in our community. I would not have talked with them because I agreed with what they did, but because it provides people the opportunity to understand why they did what they did. Likewise, in the late 1990s, when the mass magician was at the height of his TV popularity, I would have liked to have asked him why he was exposing magic. Why did he do it? What was he thinking? So there is no intent to give Murray or Justin a platform to further their views, but rather so the rest of the magic community could be aware that, one, there is a controversy that needs to be addressed, two, these are the principal players and what they thought, and three, ask the magic community to think about how they want to handle it. Their views do not necessarily represent my personal approach to magic or my views. In fact, many do not know that I have a long history of opposing magic exposure. I was a vice president of the World Alliance of Magicians, or WAM, chaired by Walter Zaney Blaney from back in the 1990s. It was a worldwide organization committed to trying to stop magic exposure and rip off builders. 
I've always tried to keep to the core mission of this podcast, which is to advance the art of magic by giving people a voice and an opportunity for listeners to hear another point of view from people they would not normally hear. This has turned into a distraction for many people, but also shows that it is an issue that people need to think about and needs to be addressed in some form or fashion. I'm just trying to create a media outlet so people can decide what to do about this issue. I want to generate awareness, including the points of view of the persons who are creating this controversy, so the magic community can address this issue in whatever form they want. My hope is that at the conclusion of this three-episode series, that the magic community has both sides of the story and is able to make an informed decision about how they want to proceed. Well, this week we're going to feature a conversation, though some might say a speech, by Justin Flom, a social media mogul who justifies his action of exposing magic. As you heard the poll quote at the beginning of this podcast, he believes that magic exposure is a good thing. Throughout this episode, he makes it clear that he loves magic and magicians, but he also loves magic exposure. Some might liken that to saying you're a Christian, but you worship the devil. But I digress. To reiterate my point, I am not trying to stir controversy, but just giving air to a dirty little secret that we must admit is prevalent in our art. It is offered to give you another point of view. Since last week's episode aired, I have been bombarded with those who want to express their opinions and come on the podcast. If I did that, then we would have to change the name and the direction of this podcast because everyone wants their opinions to be heard. If you want your voice to be heard, then I suggest you use the speak pipe function on the podcast page for the magicwordpodcast.com. By clicking on that banner app, you can leave up to a 90-second audio of whatever you want to say. Provided that what you leave in your message is clear, concise, and civil, I will consider posting your comment in the upcoming episode. We will wrap this up next week by posting an episode featuring three respected magicians who believe in defending and protecting our secrets and why they think it's important to live up to the magician's code. So please stay with me through that episode too. Then we are off to Blackpool and daily reports from the world's largest magic convention. This week's episode is brought to you by Poe's Magic Conference coming up on March 15th through the 17th. And rather than inserting the ad midway through this episode and breaking the continuity of the discussion, we will now hear from Vince Wilson, organizer of the upcoming event. Poe's Magic Conference is coming up this year on March the 15th, 16th, and 17th. That's right. It's going to be going through St. Patrick's Day. But what better, better place to be than in Baltimore, Maryland? And I've got with me then right now, Mr. Vince Wilson, who is one of the organizers of Pose Magic Conference, to tell us a little bit more about it. Hey there, Vince. Hey, Scott. Thank you for having me on again. I love being on your show. Thank you. Uh, it's always great to have you then as a guest. And I'm always excited about uh, your convention because it's a lot of fun. For those who may not be familiar with what Pose Magic Conference is, can you kind of give an overview of what uh, they should expect? It's it's a magic conference for magicians, you know, and, and it's designed specifically for helping magicians be more theatrical and original. Okay. It started off as a bizarre magic conference, and we still keep elements of storytelling in there, but we have expanded more and focused on helping you have the most unique performance that you can have. You don't have to be in the spooky stuff. You don't have to be in the into the bizarre stuff and that sort of thing. You just have mm-hmm. to want to have a show that's not like any of the other 10,000 magicians within 200 miles of you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I understand that the reason that we have it there in Baltimore and it's causes because it's called Poe's is because Poe was a master storyteller himself. 
That is correct. Yeah. And there is a, a correlation. There's a great article online about a correlation between Poe and magic. You know how um, he is, you know, he was a, a mystery artist himself in some degree. Mm-hmm. And aren't we all just mystery artists presenting wonders to our audiences? Um, we have Poe's, Matt, Poe is, of course, buried in Edgar Allan Poe. We have the Edgar Allan Poe House Museum, the Poe Society. I'm on the board of directors, for example. You know, and of course, Poe's Magic Theater is named after Edgar Allan Poe as well because of his influence in ex, uh, ex, uh, exposing people to wonders and mystery. Uh, and that is uh, at the heart of what a magician is. You know, we we present an audience with wonder as, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And Poe's Magic Conference is designed to uh, help you add more wonder your, to your, your wonder to your presentations and your shows. And you've had a lot of really great people in the past who have been oh my guests gosh, of honor. Yeah. Yeah, incredible talent. We had Jeff McBride there, you know, as the keynote speaker the last at our last conference. Uh, we've had, uh, you know, uh, uh, people that are, uh, you have been there, of course, yeah, <laughs> multiple yeah. occasions now, I think. Um, and and we're going to, you know, we, are, we have uh, David Parr. Uh, we have, this year, we have Lindsay Noel and David Parr. And uh, Paul Prater is returning again. He's one of the uh our biggest performers we love having him there you also host a black cat lounge uh your our mutual friend zeke powers will be there helping mm-hmm. out um some of these names you might not recognize immediately but these are people that have influenced storytelling and theatrical magic you know right. the, um the you know they they might not be the biggest names uh other than larry haas of course who is our keynote speaker this year so we're, we're fant- larry's good friend a fantastic presenter um, we're really excited to have him there as our keynote speaker this year, you know, um, and we have uh, uh, lectures and workshops that are going to just blow your socks off and learning how to have the most original and unique presentations you could possibly have. Sounds like a great time. And that's, again, it's going to be March 15th, 16th, and 17th in Baltimore, Maryland. And for more information and details, you can go to the website at posemagicconference.com, P-O-E-S-M-A-G-I-C-C-O-N-F-E-R-E-N-C-E.com. There you go. And I didn't even look at it when I did that. <laughs> <laughs> or you can also then go to the Magic Word Podcast Magic Convention page, and there you can actually hear a little bit more uh, with Vince and I talking and giving a lot more details about this as well. Vince, thanks very much. I think it's going to be another great year. Thank you. So now it's time to introduce our guest for this week's episode, Mr. Justin Flom, here on The Magic Word. I have with me right now Mr. Justin Flom, very clever magician, someone who has been seen by probably more people than anybody else in the entire world, and I'm including any other kind of celebrities or movie stars. He is someone who we're talking with today because of him being a magician, but as I understand, hasn't really been doing a lot of magic of of late, but has kind of gone in a different direction. But it was magic that kind of launched him into this uh, alternate career of uh, of doing what he's doing then now. But the reason we're chatting here is because you have gotten started by, quote, exposing magic or showing the secrets of how some magic was done. So I wanted to chat with you just to kind of see what your thoughts were about how that got started and your thoughts on that. So Justin, here you are, Justin Flom. Hey, Justin. How you doing? Well, Great. boy, your uh, listeners are probably really wanting to get into it on the magic exposure side. There's a lot to unpack. We're going to do it quickly. Uh, (laughs) Here is how amazing David Copperfield is. 
David Copperfield is so good that he is still making millions of dollars and he hasn't done anything on television in 20 some years. David Copperfield is so good that he does 15 magic specials. And still today, if you watch a stage magic illusion show, it is a David Copperfield show. He mm -hmm. reinvented the art, and we are only doing a cover of what David Copperfield did, myself included, when I used to be a stage magician. Here's how good David Blaine is. David Blaine reinvents magic for the media, television, and any content that you view. And that was in 97, and still today, any ma magician that's doing anything is copying that, David Blaine, from, again, over two and a half decades ago. Wow. Now, the truth is, is actually we already have had quite a shift, which is 95 to 99 percent of people who are going to watch magic today. They are watching it on a totally different platform than magicians even know about. And they're magicians that people don't even in the magic community even know. Right. These are nameless magicians. They are not the elites in magic. And I'm thrilled. I'm really excited, Scott, that you are here to talk about this because I have wanted to share the gospel of this new era of magic that's happening. Because, listen, if you can get excited about it, if you can, uh, you know, love it. When David Copperfield started doing his thing, you could be Blackstone or Mark Wilson and be really bummed about this new style or you can go this is great that can exist i can exist i can either hop on this new train and learn from this new style of performing or i can continue doing what i do death saw by david copperfield doesn't negate divern and triumph they can both exist in the same world but right. it's really important that the magic community just know and understand at least what's happening from the public's side. Uh, and they don't have to like it, okay? Uh, they don't have to do it, but it is something to at least know about. And uh, as, as far as the not having to like it, I do at least want my heart to be heard because I think the mentality of magicians is to think that I'm and that I hate magic and that I hate magicians and I'm trying to mess up people's career or their tricks or things for my own clout or for my own pocketbook. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. And I hope to show that here uh, because I love magic more than anybody. I love magic. And still I do, even that... though you haven't performed in a few years, there's still a passion well, for you. The thing is, is actually I'm very lucky to have started as a magician because now that I'm a social media guy, uh, an influencer, however, major influencer. Yeah. Uh, so even though I'm on a totally different stage now, magic informs every decision I make. So when I do a DIY house improvement project, like building a tunnel of doors, that's kind of cartoonish and, and like an old television show, like get smart, Magic informs every step of that way. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm doing I'm still getting stuff built by magic builders, but they're not they're not used in the same deceptive way that a magician would. Hmm. Which brings me to okay, we're gonna talk magic exposure and we gotta get into it. Right. What is the goal of magic? 
like that overarching. And we're all going to disagree. We're all going to have different goals. But I think the most common one that you would hear is the goal of magic is to achieve wonder, give astonishment. Uh, Some might bring it all the way down to fool somebody for entertainment purposes. Other people might say, well, no, it's not just fooling. It's entertaining them. But mystery and wonder has to be in there at some point. Right now. Uh, I love Paul Harris and I love the art of astonishment and the essays that him and Eric Mead did in there talking about astonishment are beautiful, poetic, lovely. And if the goal of magic is to achieve wonder, then only about 2% of magic material created is going to get you there. Now I've, been very lucky that I've been able to spend a substantial amount of my magic career within that 2%. And that comes with good trick choice and surrounding myself with very smart magic consultants so that I can do that. And many people listening, they might say, well, no, I achieve wonder far more than 2% of the time. I'm not saying that uh, only 2% of the time you're achieving wonder. I'm saying, look at all of the magic material that we have. And if the goal is simply achieving wonder, well, then 98% of that dealer's room is useless. Well, that's a big problem. But if we can expand our definition of what magic is supposed to be, and we already have, uh, you know, they, they might say it's for wonder, but you're leaving out comedy and gags and, and different things. Magic can achieve so many things because, and this is the new era that we're in, uh, we have the coolest industry of secrets of any other industry i've heard this stat often i don't know if it's true but apparently we have the most published works of any industry behind medicine and law uh and yeah for 500 years we've been putting up all of our ideas into books and now on the internet and downloads and conventions so we have the coolest it's the best We have chemistry, chemical reactions, different ways of folding fabric to do impossible things, topological illusions, optical illusions, hiding places. Mm -hmm. All of this is the best. And for a time, the best way to serve our audience was to keep that from them so that we could give them, you know, a sense of mystery or something. But in this new era. Why is that different now? Why was it different? Why was it okay then, but different today? I think we live in an open source world now and mm-hmm. where we know how everything works, or at least to some extent, uh, you know, the very fact that you right now are broadcasting shows that we're in a different stage. Like the fact that everyone has a microphone now and literally has a voice. Yes, because think about David Copperfield in 1978. He had a huge leg up with just having some sort of relationship that put him in with ABC so that he could do, uh, you know, a special with ABC and then eventually go to CBS and get his own specials. That was possible because not everyone had a microphone. Mm -hmm. But now I'm competing with the manager of Taco Bell, who in his off time has his phone and can do the same content that I'm doing. Everyone has a microphone. So, right. If that's the case and everything is accessible and secrets are available to anyone, then we have to shift and modify the way that we do it. Now, wonder is still beautiful. I I say yes to fooling magic. I say yes to wonder. And I still advocate for pieces of material that will fool an audience if you can get there. However, 
this, this is a scary thing for magicians. I think they would be bummed to realize how often the audience has the method. So my, my favorite magic writer, I think he's the greatest magic writer that we've had in the last 500 years is jerks. Andy, uh, he, for those who don't know, he's an anonymous magic writer mm-hmm. goes by the pseudonym Andy. Uh, and he releases a book every year to his, uh, subscribers. You can't get them. One of them, I think just went to our auction for thousands of dollars. Uh, and he writes a lot about taking the ego out of magic, but he did a focus group and a lot of tests and he'll do a trick and they'll say, do you know how that was done? And they say, no idea. And he goes, here's $20 if you can get close to the method. Well, every time the audience nails it and they're being nice. People aren't mean to magicians. People are too nice to magicians. So my rule on magic exposure is if the audience is going to arrive at the method anyway and the method is interesting, give it to them. So that's my that's my rule for myself just in, when I think about it. But then we have the more important thing. Uh, which is, does magic exposure harm other magicians? That's mm-hmm. the important thing. Like, uh, because if it is harming other magicians, then I don't care if it's entertaining uh, to someone else. You shouldn't be doing it, right? Does that right. sound like a fair question? Especially if it's not your own material. In other words, if you're exposing something that you have invented, then that's one thing. Let's say it's in the public domain, and anything that is available through a public magic shop or online would be public domain, basically. But even though that you had not invented it, would that be fair for you to expose that kind of a trick? Yes. The critique would be, if I expose Zigzag Lady, then mm-hmm. I've just made Zigzag Lady unperformable for all the people who have paid money for it and who do gigs with it. So I'm essentially taking money out of their pocket. Now, uh, I don't believe that to be true. And my reasoning is, uh, you know, several fold. Uh, paper balls over the head is exposed every day to thousands and thousands of people. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most performed pieces of magic uh, that we have in any stand-up magic show. But even though it's been exposed to millions, I'd say billions of people, no magician ever is scared when they go on stage that the person they bring up will have seen it exposed to them before. They just they they're not afraid of that. They they know that this secret. First of all, nobody remembers anything. Nobody sees anything. We know that because on America's Got Talent, every year somebody does something that was done previously, mm-hmm. and people are like, wow, that's brand new, that's amazing, <laughs> all of that. Right. So I would say Paper Balls Over the Head is a great picture of, first of all, it is magic exposure, and it shows that it's entertaining, uh, but also it shows that the secret isn't spent for other magicians when I do Paper Balls Over the Head for somebody. Also, Masked magician, uh, Valentino, uh, who has done all of the tricks. I mean, look on YouTube, everything he's exposed for millions and millions and millions of people. Mm-hmm. We thought maybe, because I remember in the 90s when this happened, oh, these tricks are unusable and never going to be done again. No, we're still doing these tricks. We're still using deceptive bases. We're still using zigzag ladies to great effect. Same thing for healed and sealed, which has been the most exposed trick on YouTube. Still a very powerful trick. Mm-hmm. Baldushi levitation was exposed on lamb chop. Still was able to give uh, David Blaine a totally new reputation. We remember, I think it was back in the 80s. Also, I believe it was Gary Willett's show on the world's greatest magic. And in between during the commercial breaks, uh, they would say, OK, here, I'll show you a trick. And if you, when your turn after the break is over, I'll teach you how that trick was done. Right. 
Yes. And people, I, I didn't know that people had a problem with that, but apparently people were angry at that. My, yes. in my household, we all thought that was really exciting. I always liked, um, Lance Burton's joke about mass magician. He goes, magicians have a problem with mass magician, but Hey, I learned a lot of cool tricks. Uh, so <laughs> any, anyway, uh, magicians also reveal secrets all the time that are the linchpin of other effects already for sucker tricks or for comedy. Uh, I understand so, your point. Yeah. So yeah. there's an interesting thing. My buddy, Ryan stock, uh, world's greatest sword swallower, uh, my favorite magic creator, even though he's not mainly a magician, Ryan stock wrote a list, which is pretty funny, which is, uh, this is, this is written by Ryan stock. Everyone seems to have uh, their own rules. After talking to a lot of magicians, I've come up with a, a list of when it's okay to reveal a secret. Uh, when it's revealed to someone who identifies as a magician, that's okay. Mm -hmm. When it's a method that's more interesting than the trick. When it's a tutorial or a teach a trick seg segment, like the Matt King thing you just brought up. Right. When it's funny, like Amazing Jonathan or Carl Ballantyne or Cole and Company. Or when you have a different method to do the same trick, like a sucker trick. Or when you're producing a CEO at a corporate event. Or when you're rehearsing the show for techs, producers, directors, and fellow cast members or wait staff. It's okay to reveal a secret when it's an accident, like Harry Blackstone doing the Orange Bowl. Or when someone pays for it, like at a magic shop, when the method is old, when the method is stupid, when it's revealed in a semi-esoteric code, like Fool Us, a lot of magic exposure happening on Fool Us, yeah. when it's revealing the method that you personally wouldn't use, like camera tricks, Blackstone famously revealed a, a camera trick of David Copperfield's that turned out to actually not be a camera trick. Um when you don't agree with the trick morally, like cold reading or psychics, when it's in a book, when it's in an unsuccessful video, it happened to me a lot. Uh, or when it's a better effect for the whole audience, paper balls over the head, when it's for a movie or a fictional television show, like Now You See Me, or when it's revealing the secret of a famous magician that you don't like, or when you're sharing an exposure video that you don't like, or when it's historical. There's a lot of instances where regular magicians do like magic exposure. And it's acceptable, and quote. I'm giving you a lot of talking. I want, I want to hear from you, but there's one other interesting thing. And then we'll get into some other points. Uh, Tops magazine from 100 years ago, they put out a very interesting article. So this is 100. I didn't know about this, and I love learning about the history of this. Uh, and it was this is the magazine put out by Abbott's. And uh, they said, speaking of exposure, in 1936, Blackstone ran an exposure of magic tricks in several Sunday newspapers. And he did uh, Abbott's Squash, Oriental Vase Mystery, The Yogi Ball, a bunch of other things. But the more interesting one is that same year, Cardini, he had the Tribune uh, come out and take a high-speed camera to analyze his act and uh, catch the methods behind back palming and his vanishing deck, his color-changing deck, his cards from air and his card spread. And this is Cardini. This is that was news to me that these guys were totally cool uh, showing off their method. So I, I want to give you a chance because I've just thrown a lot at you and we're going to we're going to get into because there's better arguments against magic exposure. But I wanted to at least throw those ones your way to start. Well, my thought is there. I'm surprised. I'm glad you mentioned that because my thinking was, as you said earlier on in our conversation here, where there are people who are 
unknown or lesser known and sometimes don't want to be known. They just show their hands on YouTube or whatever. Thousands of people who do that, who will expose it. And so that's magic exposure just for the, I mean, where they buy a trick and they just show you when they unpackage a thing and here's how the thing works, where I think that that would be uh, some exposure, but they are not chastised by the group because they are not magicians or they're not known magicians. But when they get to a point or to a level where they are well-known like you are, or, you know, Murray Sawchuck and others who have done this, then suddenly people start throwing rocks at them, you know, because they are at a position where it's like, well, you should know better. You got to where you are because you had honored Certainly. keeping the secrets and now you're not. I, I don't think the magicians like the uh, nameless uh, YouTube exposure. Certainly the ones that are exposing uh, marketed effects. Uh, I, I totally understand that. Uh, I certainly putting my face on these things. The first big exposure I did, did a hundred million views. I exposed a deceptive base. I was not ready for how the community would react. I knew some people wouldn't like it, but I, I, I even I was still surprised. Why did you uh, do that the first time? I I've, so I've been playing with exposure for about 15 years. I used to do in my Branson show, I would do Jerry Anders zone zero with a yep. clear piece of plexiglass exposing the method hmm. uh, because I thought the method was interesting, similar to um, Penn and Teller's cups and balls, mm -hmm. uh, which brings me to, I was just on a USO tour, uh, touring the military bases and I was with Penn and Teller. So it was me, a country singer, uh, an actor, and Penn and Teller. Those were the I was most interested in having Penn and Teller with me for a week on a C seventeen, flying to different uh, bases with the American military every day. It was wild, and uh, so I love magic exposure. I think it's good, right, moral, and the future of magic. And I wanted to talk to Teller about it. And we had a lot of interesting stories. Compared to me, Teller is conservative on magic exposure. But I told him this story that is oftentimes used uh, as a reason not to expose magic. It's a quick story. There's a guy, a uh, father and a son, little boy. And the little boy says, Dad, is Santa real? And the dad thinks for a second and says, you know, the parade is coming up this weekend. Santa is supposed to be at the parade. Let's, uh, let's go. And then you can find out for yourself if Santa's real or not. And the boy thinks that's a good answer. So they wait and they go to the parade. The boy, the whole time there, he's, is Santa real? What do you think? Is Santa real? And they're like, well, we'll see. We'll see. They're standing there in the parade right at the side. And they can see Santa coming down. The, oh, there he is. There's Santa. Do you think he's real? Is that really Santa? I don't know. We'll see. Kid's eyes are locked on Santa. And as he's walking down the street, the dad pulls out of his pocket just a big piece of paper that's folded up. He unfolds it, and it says, Billy, with an arrow. And he holds it right over his son's head. And Santa sees it, comes over, and goes, why, hello, Billy. Merry Christmas. And then keeps walking. The father folds it up, puts it away, and he goes on his way. Now, what kind of jerk would expose to that kid who just experienced amazing wonder that, hey, kid, the Santa's not real. Your dad just held a name tag over your head. What kind of jerk would do that? And that's the argument against magic exposure. I told this story to Teller, and Teller thought for a moment, and he said, uh, Justin, you're missing the point of the story. The point of that story is the beauty of that method. Without that method, there's no story. 
The method is the story, which goes to my point of don't steal wonder from people. If someone is genuinely getting wonder from something, then don't take that away from them. So when people come up to me and they say, how was this done? I should, I decide whether or not uh, they, uh, I ask them about it. Did, did you, how do you think it was done? Was that really mysterious to you? Wonder it. Cause I don't want to steal wonder from them. Uh, but in a storytelling realm, this is an interesting story only because of the method, which goes to my, if the method is interesting, then you do want to share it. If the audience will arrive there already. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I understand what, what you're saying about that. I mean, people who are standing around wouldn't tell the child, but they, uh, and, and they saw this is the trick, if you will, and exactly how that that worked. Uh, don't you think like after a show, when a person who was sitting there having the ball sewn over their head will come back and sit down and said, how did that work? And so you're saying there'd be a jerk for someone to tell that person how that works. Yes. Okay. Yes. To carry yeah, that analogy I think, directly. I think that when wonder, when you can achieve wonder, go for it. But mm -hmm. I'm saying that there's so much magic available to us and so many cool things that we can utilize them for other things. Now, here's the thing. Nobody loves magic more than magicians. Nobody. I think the world would be a better place if everyone knew as much about magic as my dad. So my dad's been an amateur magician since he was 15 years old. He knows about mirrors and bases and thumb tips, but Darren Brown is still going to mess him up. He's mm -hmm. still going to go. If he goes to a Derek Delgadio show, he's going to have no idea how anything was done. And nobody is spending more money on magic tickets in Las Vegas than my dad. So when you think about the public and their aversion to magic, I think if they knew a little bit more, if they could value it a little bit more, if they uh, if if they didn't see it as an adversarial role, I think it would be better for magic. I do a new thing now when I perform uh, for people close up magic is I start with magic exposure. I immediately show them a, a few card slides and I go, Hey, I'm working on this thing. If I hold the cards like this, it'll look like this. What do you think of that? Mm -hmm. Their walls just come crashing down because this is something they've never experienced before. I'm showing them secrets, good secrets oftentimes. And then when I do go to achieve wonder with them, I can do it because their walls aren't up. So magic exposure can do that. Look at the dealer room. The dealer room is a big magic exposure show. And when we love the dealer room, because it's just a hit of dopamine every 30 seconds, we get to see a trick. We get right. to learn a trick. We get to pay for a trick. And oftentimes in a dealer's room, the method, the show that they're putting on is better than the trick performed out in the real world. I saw it a couple times at Magic Live this last year. The gimmick was so cool and so interesting. The guy, I won't even name names because I don't want to throw shade at a particular trick, but the guy goes, look it, there's a magnet hitting in this ordinary object. He never performed the trick, ever. He, he, showed he the only method. showed the method. Mm -hmm. And he sold, you know, gobs and gobs of these things, mm -hmm. but he was doing a magic exposure thing. That's that's the point. He, a, a He's exposing job. it to magicians in a context of a magic convention where people had paid a registration fee and are qualified magicians as opposed to someone walking in off the street. Yeah, but some would say that it's even worse because he's exposing it to magicians, giving the illusion that they're going to be able to take that home and perform it for their friends mm -hmm. when they will not. And that's going to live in a drawer and never be performed for anybody. So who's actually worse, the guy who's taking money with promises of this is the magic trick you need in your repertoire 
or me who's saying, hey, this is an entertaining moment and I'm just giving you the entertaining moment. So it I I think the the reason that this is happening online is because traditional magic doesn't work online in the same way. There's a couple reasons for that. So the internet is all based off of who's watching what and for how long. So we call it watch time. So uh, a, a video that's going to do really well on the internet, if it has a high watch time or a watch percentage, it's going to go well because the platforms like YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, they go, I'm going to show a video that has a higher chance of keeping people on this app or this platform. So my, I have a 1 billion hit video. It's a costume change magic exposure. Wow. It's been seen by a billion people, just that one video. And it's got a watch time percent of 150%. Now, what does that mean? That means that not only did everyone watch the whole thing, half the people watched it twice. So was that the uh, one where the lady like was white and yellow, had a yellow dress or something and changed colors? Yes. Yep, I saw uh, that. It is, it is the classic uh, costume change, costume change uh, yeah. piece. And I would say that this falls strictly within, okay, when we see a costume change act, we do know the method. I think lay people know the method. They don't know exactly where the pins and the threads are. They're impressed by the ingenuity. They're impressed by the speed. But they know girls wearing 10 dresses there. They, they know that. OK. And if a magician yeah. doesn't believe that, I'm, then then there's no conversation here because you're not being uh, honest. So with the audience knowing that, I thought, I bet they want to see this thing happen. And I knew that because fashion shows have been doing it now for a little over a decade where they've been creating costume change fashion on the runway. And the girl mm -hmm. comes down in the thing, pulls the magic trick dress and the dress changes and that little clip goes viral to millions and millions of people. So I was able to uh, take a little piece of that by doing the same thing. But the point of this uh, little piece there is watch time is king. So you need people to watch to the end of the video. And magic starts ordinary. Here I have a Coca-Cola. Here I have a paper bag. Two ordinary objects. I'm going to put the Coca-Cola in the bag wave my hand, and it's going to disappear. Well, we've just taken 15 seconds of ordinary nothingness, and we're going to end with the extraordinary, but no one's going to get there. No one's going to get to the extraordinary part because it's not, uh, because the algorithm won't allow it, because people will leave and swipe away. Uh, I coined a term uh, a couple of years ago called the barrier to exit. So we know the barrier to entry, right? Mm -hmm. The barrier to exit is... Uh, how hard is it to leave something? So if I'm on a cruise ship and I'm at a magic show, that show has to suck really bad for me to get up, <laughs> get up and leave, and leave. Yeah, right. because I'm on a ship in the middle of the ocean. There's nothing else to do. Also, there's the social pressure of being surrounded by 1500 people. Like I'm going to stay for the 45 minutes of the show. Even if it's, even if it's not, even if it's mediocre, however, and the same thing would be said for a magic show like a theater. You got a babysitter, you parked, you drove there, you bought a ticket. That makes a very high barrier to exit to leave. So don't be complimented when the audience stayed throughout your show. There was <laughs> high barrier to leave. However, on the Internet or more likely the phone, the barrier to exit is one inch of your thumb swiping up. Just boop, gone. Not only that, one inch of the thumb and you're going to be fed 
the entire history of human knowledge at your fingertips. So the lowest barrier to exit with the highest competition rate, which means you have to deliver to the audience something interesting immediately. So if we go back to the Coca-Cola example, rather than starting with here, I have a Coca-Cola and a paper bag. I started with, look at this Coca-Cola, it's rubber and I squish it. And I show the Nielsen uh, bottle and I expose that I've got a rubber bottle. And now my presentation was, um, I, I called it bottle up the butt. Uh, and I put the thing on a stool and I'm going to balance myself. I'm doing this for a punter, for, uh, for somebody. <clears throat> Much of this magic exposure stuff, another piece that we'll, we'll talk about is the audience likes to be in the place of the magician, meaning being in on the trick and then getting to watch someone else experience that trick. So. Uh, I put the bottle on a stool. I'm going to balance on the, on the bottle, uh, and then I sit on it, and the bottle vanishes because it's a Nielsen bottle, and I'm sitting on it, and it looks like the bottle went up my butt. Funny bit, 50 million hits, but it only works because I started with uh, this interesting thing. You can imagine if you were at a party and Channing Pollock came up to you, and he pulls a bird out, and he shoves it in his sleeve, and then he goes, come here. You're like, oh, my gosh, we're about to mess someone up with a bird. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> you would follow him a quarter mile wherever he's walking to see what he was going to do with that bird in his sleeve. Now, the truth is, is when that bird comes out, A, you're going to get the cool visual of a bird appearing. B, you probably would have arrived at the method anyway. When we watch a bird act, we don't know how they're coming out of nowhere, but we do know they're they're there. They're on they're on the person. They're in the jacket like that's right. been my problem with furniture magic illusions, because when the audience says it's a special box, well, they're not wrong. Okay. Occam's razor. Right. So uh, at, there's just a level at some point uh, where the, the secret would be interesting to give. And that's why I exposed the deceptive base, because I was like, this is uh tantalizing opening shot to see a girl go into this thing and close the trap door. It's, it's really interesting looking. And, and when, as we covered earlier, I don't think that it takes away from other people's deceptive bases because I don't present it as a magic trick. Mm -hmm. uh, and also even a hundred million people watching that we've seen through mass magician and paper balls over the head methods can be exposed to millions and millions and still be very viable to magicians, uh, even even with that, you were going to say something. Yeah, and when you're talking about watch time, also just to clarify that for people who are listening, the reason that you want to increase that watch time to keep it all the way through, or in some cases, 150 percent, they watch it again a second time, is because of how you can monetize that, and that's what I think that the majority of people hear about these stories and everything, but it's kind of like, well, I don't know how that what that means or how that you could possibly monetize that, but there is big money in that. Yes, but two quick things because yes, there's money in it, and uh, and I welcome anybody who wants to you know hop on the internet bandwagon and and make money doing it. There's a lot of good money there. I like it. Uh, but you brought up a point. The very first point you brought up: what if the trick belongs to someone else? Right. Uh, and it's fair question. And uh, different people are going to have different opinions on this. I'm a freedom guy, so when I purchase a dissecto arm chopper. I want the freedom to be able to utilize that prop 
in a routine the way that I want, uh, which means I might be using it as something to chop fruit, something to chop through an arm, maybe just a set piece in the background of a, a magic shop TV show, or, hey, look at this mechanical marvel and the way this blade slides, because that actually, and I, I, I focus group a lot of these videos where I'll edit several different versions of a video and I'll focus group them to see which one has uh, the best interaction from a viewer. And I filmed the traditional presentation of Dissecto and then I filmed an exposure. The exposure is the one that was better, more interesting. People didn't care. You would think they would still care. Hey, a woman's arm might get chopped off. They don't care. Uh, they, they did care about a cool piece of wood that slid a blade and could fool somebody else. So the freedom to be able to utilize something is something that's valuable to me. And I created this trick called card artistry, where it looks like you paint an image with right. a deck of cards. It's one of the better things I've ever created. And, uh, what was nice is I released that secret so that you could paint either the Mona Lisa or a brain scan. However, that was then taken and utilized to win for three different people. America's got talent and Britain's got talent. They didn't paint the Mona Lisa. They didn't paint a brain scan. They did what they wanted to do with that effect and method. And they had the freedom to do so. Yeah. I was excited to get to see the Britain's got talent guy. Uh, I forget his name. Richard, maybe it's something. And uh, he did a military tribute for his father or his right. grandfather. Matt Franco painted, I believe it was Howie Mandel. Uh, Matt was very kind to uh, reach out to me and, and ask permission. And Shin Lim also uh, used card artistry in a different way because they have the freedom to build on that method to do the thing that they want. Well, let but, me ask you, go ahead. Yeah, please. About, no, go that, about that arm illusion though let's say for an example that you did that in your show and then you would have that in back of the room sales let's say that you have would you sell something like that or maybe have that available so people could see the secret of it before you actually do it in your show uh that's interesting uh so i want to make sure i understand the question so i have something for sale uh in the in the lobby so just for uh, sake of argument, so a thumb tip is for sale in the lobby, prominently okay. displayed, and then I can also utilize the thumb tip on stage. Uh, that that sort of thought? Sort of thought, yes, indeed. But if it was something that was... But something could, even more obvious. More like, obvious than that, correct. Yeah. Because you could use that and they wouldn't know it. And they're still not going to know when they buy it, what is this going to be used for? But if it's something that's more obvious, you yes. know, having that for sale. So there's a plexiglass zigzag lady in the lobby uh that's done up and exposed with a mannequin right. inside then and would then you also perform that in your what show. i perform zigzag lady so i think that magic exposure performed live is going to be great i'm working on my own stuff i just don't have a lot of motivation to perform live right now mm -hmm. but uh what i would do in that regard is well i would say uh, much like a punchline to a joke you don't want to give that away in the lobby if you're going to deliver the joke on stage so uh i would want to keep that secret for that here and now uh because i do think that that short of a time from the lobby uh to the show it, you don't want to prominently put something in there that you're going to reveal on stage now i think when a listener might hear that they go aha see you you do think that secrets uh ruin something well yeah if 
if I revealed a base uh, to somebody here uh, and then th three minutes later, I go over to my backyard and I show them a different trick with a base. Yeah, that's not going to be the same level of deceptiveness, but I don't think that we're not going to get the same reaction. Yeah. It's not going to get the same reaction. So you have to a couple things you're you're looking at. Okay, what is the value of the thing I would show them later that needs the deceptive quality, and uh, and how much time is in between uh, that sort of thing? Look, Penn and Teller have exposed many many different things, and also it's pretty fascinating to see the arc of their career where they were the bad boys of magic, and now they are like accepted as maybe maybe the most elite of uh, magic performers uh, in the traditional sense. Uh, but they would expose things at the beginning of the show, and then they would utilize them later in the show and still fool an audience. I think the responsibility lands on the magician. And what we're talking about here is whether or not exposure is right or wrong. And we already determined that exposure is fine because all magicians are exposing magic in different ways. Uh, we're not even talking about bad magicians who are exposing magic poorly by accident, accident, but ones who are doing sucker effects or saying some magicians will do the trick this way, but I do it this way. So, you know, if I expose, I think online, even Dunninger had done that with the linking rings, you know, he was saying yes. here, here, here is a ring that's got to cut in it. I'm not going to use that. And those it away. And then commences to do the linking ring routine. Or if I expose on the internet uh, sliding a rolled up hundred dollar bill into a lemon, uh, you know, that only exposes one facet of that trick. I You're put right. it on the responsibility of the performer to separate the borrowing of the bill and the lemon being in the audience the whole time. If if you really feel that my exposure to an online passively viewing audience is going to affect your uh, intently viewing audience at the Magic Castle. First of all, we disagree there, but also I would say, well, just the responsibility lies on you to make sure that you're deceptive in what you're using because I think many, many magic, most magic methods that we have are available to the general public in different ways. I have a Bluetooth printer in my house, but also I have a hidden Bluetooth printer that'll print out a lottery ticket. Mm -hmm. Now, the audience know, the public know about one of those. Technically, they know about the technology for both. So what I have to do with my Bluetooth lottery printer is if I want to achieve wonder out of it, then I've got to hide it in the lid of a, of a deceptive box and make sure that it drops into a wallet with a magnet and the wallet closes up around it so sure. that I can appear to make it look like it couldn't have possibly come out of a printer. Yeah. Um and there are are so many ways uh, of trying to determine what is a level of exposure like you were talking about there then earlier. Uh, and if it's available for free, would it be exposure? And is it dependent upon the the uh, level of mystery of a particular trick versus a sucker trick? I'm, I'm going to the point of even tricks that are published, obviously, in books or in magazines. And then you could take that as far as saying, well, if somebody's walking into a magic shop in a, in a mall or just off a, in a strip right. mall or someplace just off the street. And, and the reason are... I don't really go with that argument, like, hey, magic exposure happens every day at Tannins. The reason I don't take that argument is because magicians know that I'm doing something different. They go, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, look, penguin magic is not the same as Justin Flom exposing in a swipe feed algorithm mm -hmm. for random viewers. And I understand that. 
and I've got my arguments as to why uh, I think I've unpacked a lot of them right. here. And, yeah. and I, I would love to continue this conversation. But if I haven't pissed you off yet, let me piss you off now. <laughs> uh, the real reason that magicians hate exposure. Uh, you want to take a shot at it? You want to guess? I would say because they are trying to, I think as Jim Steinmeier had said, is just trying to uh, protect an unlocked vault that people have access to this then anyhow. And it's something that might be in their show. And a lot of times there are things that are the easy tricks that they are doing and they are the easy ones that are being exposed. And so you're goring their bull, basically, you know, you're, you're calling their baby ugly. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have a, a different take on it. And before I say it, Again, I want to reiterate, just if the, someone's clicking ahead and just wants to hear this part, uh, <laughs> I I really love magic, and my best friends are magicians. And even though I don't perform magic every day or I'm not traveling around doing my show, uh, me and my friends, all we're doing is talking about magic every day. We're excited for whatever new thing David Copperfield is going to do. We have lots of thoughts about what that's going to be. It's going to be very interesting to see how David makes uh, the moon vanish. Well, what's going to be interesting is remember, he has not been on the main stage mm -hmm. of pop culture since the advent of social media and Pretty Reddit. True. Yeah. And I have never seen Reddit miss a method yet. Hmm. I don't care what it is. Reddit knows the method. So when I saw it a baby in half, Reddit put up diagrams of exactly what it was. I don't care how deceptive it is. My buddy Xavier, who does amazing magic, uh, they can spot exactly where the camera does a thing or where this is that. They mm -hmm. they got it. It's going to be interesting to see how David contends with um, with that because uh, he hasn't experienced that yet. So it, it'll all be interesting. But I love magic. I love magicians. The one critique I have, and and it's one of the reasons I love Jerks, uh, Andy, the writer, so much, is because of the way that he writes about magic with removing the ego from the magic. I think, unfortunately, most, not I won't even say most, there are magicians who want the viewer to believe that they're really doing it. Really? Now, maybe they don't want the viewer to believe that they're an all-powerful god wizard and then they can genuinely read minds. But I do think that they are sometimes trying to pass off, hey, I can read body language or I'm a spectacular card cheat. These true. are lies and these are ego. It is them putting into the mm. effect something that they can do. And when you expose a secret, you threaten the one piece of value that they have in that trick, the only piece of value that they have. And again, I'm not saying all magicians. I love me. Ma I'm not talking trash about anybody specific unless you're a mentalist. Kidding, kidding. <laughs> but when you, when you put that much of your ego in the effect, then, oh my goodness, it is hanging by a thread and that thread is the hidden method that the audience doesn't know about. Now, those people I don't believe are giving wonder. I believe that they are, you know, really trying to get something for themselves. They want to take credit for the effect, and you don't get to take credit for the effect when someone else has said, no, that's a magic prop built by Bill Smith Magic Ventures, or no, you don't get to take credit for the effect. 
that is uh, this particular method, you know, by Dunninger and this and that. So the bottom line is go for it. Achieve wonder, get to the astonishment, but there's plenty of magic that will not achieve astonishment, which can be utilized for entertainment in different ways because magic is just the coolest thing and has access to the best secrets. And if the audience is not getting wonder out of it, give them something else, give them a mechanical Marvel, give them an education or a cool little trick uh, because that, or protect them, you know, as Houdini used to do from psychics. Uh, there's been countless uh, examples of magic exposure all throughout history uh, it's just now we're in this new era where it could end up being the main form of entertainment, at least in the public media space. When I'm one on one with somebody, I want to achieve wonder because it's a beautiful thing and I love it. Also, that is almost impossible digitally. When you put a screen in between us and someone's watching online, one of the things we didn't talk about with watch time is nobody's ever watched a magic trick and had their life changed. They're going to be the exact same after watching the trick as before. Not mm -hmm. only that, that jerk magician on screen isn't going to tell me how it's done. So I'm, I'm not going to uh, be enriched at all uh, watching this piece of short content on my phone and whatever's happening there. It's probably a camera trick or an actor mm -hmm. uh, contextually. And knowing that the public views most magic things as camera tricks or actors, uh, just on the camera trick side, they're confused why we're doing bad camera tricks. Like if I can hold up a card and do a snap change and the viewer believes it's a camera trick, what a dumb thing to do with a camera trick, like just to change one card into another. Right. Whereas we got Zach King doing crazy cool camera tricks like mm -hmm. diving into a moving vehicle as it's mm -hmm. spinning past him right so oftentimes right. what i try to explain to magicians is the general public doesn't know the rules by which we're uh, guiding ourselves they don't know hey we're only using one shot we're not using a camera trick we don't utilize actors uh if you were here with me in this room the trick would look the same they don't know any of that all they know is, you know, two swipes ago, I watched a guy, uh, you know, pour water on snow and it made a Christmas tree of ice using a camera trick. Yeah. And now I swipe up to you and you're doing some magic trick with some whatever. Of course, they're going to think it's a camera trick. All of that lends itself to magic in the traditional way that we've performed it on stage for years, not lending itself to this particular medium or the the way that culture is right now so you have to either shift with it and and see that there's new ways to take our gold we have gold the gold is the material that we have the topological illusions the optical illusions the props the gags that's all gold instead of just saying well now this is unusable because the audience doesn't believe it as a magic trick utilize it in a different way and and it, it would unlock crazy potential, not just for the Internet, but man, I've had some fun exposing secrets in person, one on one, where the I've seen mystery come to a point, And then all of a sudden, 
big reaction at the end when the audience learns the secret. And you've experienced it too, because we've all been in a David Williamson lecture or a Gaten Bloom lecture where he does the trick, we applaud, and he says, the method is this three inches of thread. And we go, oh, clap, 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 clap. And we all love it because we're horny for the method. We love that method. Give that to the audience. You saw how much that accentuated your experience as a magician. Why are we keeping it from the audience if wonder is only going to get them to a four out of 10, but the method would get them to a 10 out of 10? Do I hear you agreeing with something that Valentino had said in which that is that I am releasing this because I want to have the magic community come up with better ideas and get rid of these old outdated things? Uh, Thank you for looking to clarify that. No. Uh, I like Val. Uh, I think that mass magician is he still alive, by the way, do you know? Boy, I don't know. I want somebody listening. If you know Val or Val, if you're listening, I will do anything to meet you or fly you out here back to Las Vegas. Uh, I desperately want to talk to you. I have so many questions, but I don't know if he's alive or not. Uh, I think that his script there written at the end was written by Fox, written by a TV producer. I don't think it's how Val really felt. Uh, I think Val probably feels similar to how Murray feels. I haven't spoken with Murray on Magic Exposure, but I imagine it was not not a, anything beyond just, hey, this is working and it's cool and it's fun. What's the problem? I'm a very deep thinker, and I've thought about Magic Exposure for a decade and a half, and I, I think there's something there. And uh, it is not to get rid of tired old tricks, as Valentino said in the final episode of the first season of Mass Magician, uh, because I like the tired old, old tricks. I spend a lot of time working with tired old tricks. Uh, and I don't think when I expose a secret that it undoes uh, the tired old trick for somebody else to utilize. I think Zigzag Lady is still one of the best magic illusions in history. I've got a picture, uh, an amazing artistic uh, photo print of Zigzag Lady being performed by Mr. Copperfield uh, over my toilet. Uh, but the uh, when you when Val said that, I think that was disingenuous because the truth is, is exposure itself. It's just another form of entertainment utilizing magic methods. It's not to do anything except entertain. That's it. Mm-hmm. And and we've all been entertained by magic secrets. If you're a magic listener right now, you have walked into a dealer room or a lecture or your buddy's house and been fascinated by the new robot chalkboard that's going to draw something without anybody seeing it or the new whatever thing that's and and when you give them the method it uh it takes away the disappointment i think when you share the method in that way it's more disappointing to learn the method uh or to guess the method yourself uh, I remember the very first time I ever did cups and balls for myself. I put three little balls there, covered it up with a cup. I lifted up the cup and the balls were gone. Holy cow, the astonishment I felt. It was amazing. <laughs> and then I tilted the cup back and I saw that the balls had just all kind of gripped the side and were hanging out in, in the lid of the cup. Yeah. And oh, the disappointment. And that set me up for a long career in magic of astonishment followed shortly by disappointment. What we want to do is either lengthen that time of disappointment for the audience by really achieving wonder uh, for them and making your magic ungoogleable so that when you do a Daniel Garcia fraud and move ink on a dollar bill, mm-hmm. I did this for a guy at a restaurant and uh, 
he shouted at me 20 minutes later. He goes, hey, it's twenty nine ninety nine. Is it uh, <laughs> Daniel Garcia? Mother. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. Like, OK, so you either have to accept that that's a thing or what you're going to do is you're going to say, all right, let's give a better amount of entertainment to a large group of people. Let's mess with one person. So let's show everybody, hey, look at this. I've I, I've fraudulently modified this bill. Look at this sticker. If I put this here, does that look real? You don't does think that, that'd be disappointing well, to them to know the secret? No. Well, well, it's only disappointing once you've tried to fool them. So it's mm -hmm. only disappointing. Like, okay, look at Carbo, uh, Carbonero effect. How disappointed are all of these people when they realize the wicked cool product that he showed them isn't real? Okay, that's a lot of disappointment. Like he just was like, yeah, hey, it's a cool, it's a shot right. that fits right. in an envelope. No, that's not real. But now there's no disappointment if instead you were to say, hey, do you see that guy at the end of the bar? I'm going to make it look like a shot glass comes out of this tiny envelope. Now there's no disappointment on anybody who uh, who knows the method. You're going to go higher in entertainment for those people, and you're going to hopefully fool this one person. When they land at the thing of it not being real, they're still going to have disappointment. But that's disappointment of one punter rather than everybody else. But do you think so, the audience would enjoy that? In other words, if he were to explain yes. that and yes. that to to the television audience, okay, here's how this is done. I'm going to show you how the audience reacts to this trick scott that's my job that's all of my <laughs> views i'm billions of views into exactly that yeah that's 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 the only thing i do is is i find interesting methods that are and, and then i reframe them oftentimes you'll see on these things that i'm doing look this this clip of murray which kind of brought the magic exposure thing uh back to the forefront Look, 2020, 2021, and a little bit of 22, I was doing a lot of magic exposure, billions of views in that. And then uh, now I'm doing a lot of painting. I'm a spray paint artist now, and I've got mm -hmm. 20 billion views in spray paint art. So I'm I'm not really thinking about the magic exposure thing, but I was thrilled to have this conversation. When Murray did that, he is taking the piss out of that magic prop. He is doing a Carl Ballantyne type bit. I think totally acceptable, but that is all... Uh, strictly within the magic thing. When I do it, uh, and Murray has done this too, you reframe it not as a magic trick. You're not, the the base exposure, the deceptive base that I exposed, was never exposed as a magic trick. In fact, most people thought it was a prank, secret floor thing. Like they didn't even know because when you don't have the context of a guy in a sparkly jacket taking credit for the trick, it's not a magic trick. Right. Uh, the, the context is so important and, and that's uh, part of the thing. So people aren't even thinking uh, oftentimes that these pieces of magic exposure are magic tricks. And there's been a lot that I've utilized that have gone totally under the radar of magicians because it didn't make it to the magicians only forum or any of the other organizations I've been kicked out of because it wasn't presented as a traditional magic trick. Right. And, and and it was instead presented as, hey, if you mix these chemicals together, it does this thing. And that really is a lot of magic methods is just well, something that is cool that we have to utilize in the context of a trick. There's a lot more, obviously, that we can uh, talk about this. And I would like for the listeners who have heard this, if you would like to hear some more, 
from Justin, by the way, just to uh, write me or let me know uh, through uh, an email, scott at the magicwordpodcast.com and let me know if we want to get back together over here. Uh, because golly, this I could tell is a much longer conversation. <laughs> we could break up into two or three you, easily. I, th- I feel so bad for you, Scott. <laughs> You're going to get a hate mail. Look, magicians well, don't like this conversations. They <laughs> do not like it. I will say my dad, who lifelong magician and he loves me he hates the magic exposure he does not like it uh, yeah. but he would he would believe that magic achieves more wonder than i think that it does yeah uh, yeah so it's i i totally understand it oh there you go Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, the name of my podcast is called The Magic Word Podcast. It won't be your magic word. It will be Ooh. something, I don't mean like abracadabra, but what's important in your life? Uh, oh, boy. Oh, man, I wasn't prepped for this. What's I your love philosophy? It. <laughs> uh, the, the philosophy is uh, just present. I like mm-hmm. being present. I want Just be to... present. Yeah, I want to elongate. This has been my week this week is how do I elongate the present moment? And the way I do it, I do a lot of documenting, journaling, photographing, and then later printing those photos and having Mm -hmm. them cat. Like I loved Born Standing Up, Steve Martin's book that he was able to, you know, have an archive of all of his work and everything. And to me, that allows you to live in the moment but then also live that moment for many years later, because we put a lot of work into the stuff that we do. Like uh, that. And, and I want to be able to, so Penn and Teller were really good at it to, to walk their back halls of their theater and see all of the work that they've done. They don't rest on it by any means. They're always looking forward. They do not go back. David Copperfield, same thing. However, to every once in a while, just look up and go, ah, we did Saturday Night Live with Madonna. That was mm-hmm. a thing. Isn't that cool? And yeah. then, you know, keep on going. So I like that. I like that. Be in well, the just, moment. Be in the moment. Be in the present. And remember those. Hold on to those memories then, too. Thanks very much. I appreciate your uh, your comments. And uh, if people want to write to you, uh, or do you? Don't. Don't. I was going to say. <laughs> You probably would get too many uh, emails. Look, you, you can't keep up with everything. It's fine. It's fine. I I do. I love talking magic. I I wish I had more time to do it. My website's justinflom.com. People will know. People can get in touch with me. Yeah. I I know that this is a touchy subject, uh, and I know that people are deeply, deeply affected by it. Yeah. That is not lost on me. I don't mean to treat it with a cavalier uh, nature. Uh, you know, I've lost friends over this sort of thing. Uh, not mm-hmm. by my choice. I, I didn't, I would never choose magic exposure over a friend, right. uh, but they, they, they it was their choice, not yours. Yeah, that's correct. That's I understand. Correct. Well, Justin, again, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, perhaps again, uh, with the listeners request, we might be getting back then again. So I appreciate your insights to uh, your thinking. Sounds good, man. Good. Thank you. So the magic word podcast, that was Justin Flom. This is Scotty. Yeah. Well, thank you, Justin, for expressing your opinions. I appreciate that. And uh, to the rest of the listeners, uh, this is going to be a wrap for the Magic Exposure. I've had a couple of people who have said their side of the story. And again, next week, we will be talking with three respected magicians who will talk about protecting secrets and why it's important to protect the magician's code. And then we'll start to wrap this up. So this way, we're not going to continue on with the subject ad infinitum. (laughs) Oh, boy. Then we can move on with things, including the Blackpool Magic Convention. So stay tuned for that. 
So until next week, stay well, get booked, and remember to be present and live in the moment. This is Scotty out.